Welcome back to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. He is Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Uh, Danny, on our last episode, I had a slip of the tongue where I, I referred to the amazing broadcast quality of Amazon streaming sports when I meant Apple. And oh, it really? Tur- it turns out Apple might be uh, might be in play for the Pac-12. Andrew Marchand from uh, the New York Post reported that this week that that Apple is emerging as a legitimate option for the Pac-12's media rights deal. So, um, no, no a- Apple does MLB games. No, but I said I said Amazon when we were talking oh, okay. last week. I mean, I I corrected my or you corrected me, but uh, I was yeah. I, I I apparently had you know I, I had some foresight on that one accidentally. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I saw that. The more I've and talking to people because I I wrote something today in my newsletter about um, the there's an issue with the regional sports networks right now. The uh, basically Bally's, which which is owned, I think they've got 19 regional sports networks. So an RSN is like the equivalent of Root Sports. Um, but Bally's, they're on the verge of bankruptcy and they didn't make a payment. And then this was my favorite AT and T, which has regional sport net, sports networks in in three markets like Pittsburgh, Houston, and Denver. They paid their baseball teams less than they were supposed to. <laughs> like, oh no! They they gave them a check that was light. Um, although the actual phrasing that was used, uh, in the, in the story was one of the best things that I've ever come across, um, in which they, let me, let me find the exact phrasing because what they said is the disbursements were not commensurate with the contracted rates. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't pay us enough. Yeah, dude, the envelope was light fools. Um, and all of this is tied to kind of the conflict between streaming and linear cable and the Pac-12 networks have been linear linear cable like they're linear cable networks and I really think that there might be more money for the Pac-12 going to a streaming service like Apple the the problem is is that if you do that you're going to take a hit in terms of visibility so there's a real decision that schools have to make of do we want as many eyeballs as we can get on our teams or do we want as much money as we can get? Because I think the answer to the, those questions, I think the most eyeballs will come if you have sort of a, a deal with ESPN uh, to some extent and then maybe a streaming partner. But I think you can get the most money if you just went all to streaming. And as a Pac-12 fan... Like, I'm actually all for the all streaming thing. Like, I would actually have no problems with that. I would be happy to, to buy. Like, right now, I've got three different packages that I use to make sure that I can get everything. And if you gave me, like, I just have to have Apple TV, that would actually be better for me. Yeah, like, if, if the Pac-12 has to have a significant portion of its games on a streaming platform, I would very much prefer, just as a viewer, that it be Apple and, mm-hmm. and not Amazon. Um, I think Amazon would put forth a fine product, whatever, but, but Apple does everything great, you know? And, and Mm -hmm. and like I mentioned in our last episode about their major league baseball broadcast, they were different and I thought they were fun. And like the, the picture quality, I know a lot of people talk about how, how much better the picture quality is. I can't say that's like super important to me. I think once it's really good, it's, you know, gains above that are kind of negligible, but, um, I, from a visibility and drawing in more eyeballs standpoint, you can't beat linear television. Obviously that would be the, that would be the biggest concern. Um, but it might just be kind of like we talked about last week that the PAC 12 is in position in a position where they got to go with the money short term, or they're going to have a bunch of bunch of programs looking around saying, you know, how, how sustain, how, how feasible is, is our level of competition nationally long term. So I, uh, it occurred to me, we have a guest on this week's episode, by the way, Jackson Kirkland stopped by and, and chatted with us for a while. It occurred to me in preparing for that interview, like the media deal stuff is kind of the topic of the day, topic of the week. It feels like that's really percolating and that's something's going to happen soon with that. It seems like just from, from kind of reading the tea leaves, but um, it was it was such a relief to know that we didn't have to ask a single question about that to our 
our interview guest on this <laughs> on this UW football podcast because it's it, it just gets to be so it, it, frankly it gets to be boring to talk about like it's fascinating on some levels but at a certain point it's like let's just see the deal and and go from there um so that was a that was a fun interview i'm excited for for you guys to listen to it and it is it is completely free of any media deal speculation <laughs> i guess it does make people's eyes gla- glaze over i think it's is it a mistake in your eyes if the pac-12 signs a deal that doesn't include espn um a little bit now. Mm-hmm. I know Stuart Mandel pointed out on Twitter that the deal the MLS signed with Apple also mm-hmm. includes some simulcasting on Fox. Yep. So something like that might might still be possible with ESPN. I still. I mean, do we believe that that the Pac-12 would sell 100 percent of its football rights to a streaming partner? I I kind of have a hard time envisioning it, but the vibe does seem to be that like ESPN is is in a mode of being more selective and. If you know, if they're not going to come with the price, then that Apple probably starts to look more attractive. You know, if, if they are willing to to come up with the right number, I'll be interested to see how 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 it turns out. But um, I'm not I'm not of the opinion that like man, you absolutely. Ah, see, I say that, and then I think of like, what if you've got a top ten matchup between Oregon and Washington, and and it's just on Apple TV. Like that, that just I just have a hard time seeing that, you know. Yeah, like, I, I I kind of agree with you. Like, there's I, there's probably got to be at least one game a week that's on ESPN. It, you 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 can't you can't have it all streaming. It, it, you just you cut yourself off from from having that sort of. You do want that level of exposure. You can't give that part away. And um, you need or it for sell it. You're not giving anything away. You need it for live sports betters too. <laughs> I can't tell you how little I care about live sports betters. Don't ever forget about the live sports betters. I, I, can't, I cannot tell you how unimportant those people are. They are the backbone of this country. Maybe, maybe, but they're all going to be going broke. Did, have you seen? I, well, I, I'm not going to say have you seen. There's a report about a week and a half ago in the Wall Street Journal that talked about how much gambling is up. Like, not just sports betting, but it's like up like 19%. And That's good I'm, times, man. I am not someone who has strong opinions about gambling. Like, I don't personally enjoy doing it. I don't think it's necessarily some sort of social evil either. I also recognize that there are people that have problems. I was, But if I could bet, like if I could bet, there will be a moral panic about gambling within the next five years. Like there is going to be a huge sort of, we've got to ban it and oh God, can't you think of the children moral panic that takes place about gambling because everybody can't wait to gamble right now and the bill is going to come due on that. Yeah, um, I'm not morally panicked yet. I I, I kind of wish you could do it like mobily on an <laughs> app can. in Washington like you can you in Oregon. You can, you just can't do it out there. Well, you can't, do, you have to do it on casino grounds. Yeah, yes. In Oregon, uh, in Oregon, you can just do it anywhere in the state of Oregon, right? Oregon's always had weird rules about gambling, though. That was why, for the longest time, the NCAA tournament, like they wouldn't play any basketball tournament games there. Um, that changed kind of about 2010 or 2011 because they've always had weird rules about gambling in Oregon. There was recently a well. There's a bill in the state legislature concerning this also, but there was a lawsuit um, that tried to get the original sports gambling ruling. Uh, stricken down because the, the 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 folks who filed the suit thought it was too narrow and thought that you should be able to have sports gambling at like card rooms and, and not just tribal casinos mm-hmm. um, but a federal judge recently ruled against that I was I was just reading in the Seattle Times so <laughs> it sounds like that's uh it's not expanding anytime soon in Washington State and unless something happens with this bill we'll see but one game you will not be able to bet on Washington at Ohio State, excuse me, yeah, Ohio man. State at Washington in 2024. So this happened after we re-recorded last week, but before we posted the episode? It was what after. What the hell? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, what the hell? I'll say this. I'm writing something about this later this week. I'm a little embarrassed that this possibility didn't already occur to me. Oh, that you, you should have assumed that Ohio State was going to be a bunch of chicken asses? <laughs> well... Look, it's it's just good business on their no. from their standpoint. It's chicken. This is this is ridiculous. They should be embarrassed. Well, I don't think they are. <laughs> um, 
and also like a fi- for a five hundred thousand dollar separation fee. Plus now they're they could end up paying some additional damages. The, the contract language is it's not quite as straightforward as just a straight five hundred grand. But like they're going to come out way ahead, bumping that game off the schedule, or replacing it with a home game where even like the guarantee that they're going to have to pay to whatever opponent they schedule, uh, they're going to clear millions of dollars more playing a home game instead of coming to Washington. And nobody is going to care that they don't have a tough road, you know, road game against a, a good team on the West coast on their schedule because it's yeah, not going to matter. But it's a stain just on their integrity, right? Like everybody's going to look at them and realize that they were, they, they backed out of an actual good matchup because they were afraid. I think by the time that's going to, that's going to follow them around for the rest of eternity, right? (laughs) A pox upon their house. Oh yeah. They're going to be, they're going to be preparing for the national championship game in 2024. And the broadcasters will say, of course, this means little because Ohio state did not play Washington this year. Do you think they were, do you think part of the reason was, is that they were worried about what happened like the last time a lot of their fans went to Washington, they stormed the Capitol. And so they didn't understand this was a different Washington. This is your so go this is your go to, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I'm I'm not done with the January sixth jokes about them. I'm 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 not I'm not done with them at all. Somebody had pointed out to me, it was like, Ah, oh, why'd you have to go there? And I was like, Yeah, it's a pretty cheap joke. And he says, Well, actually there were a couple people from my little small town in Ohio that went to the, the January sixth protests and then when they got hauled in court because they stormed the capitol they claimed to be sovereign citizens <laughs> and so the judge was like so you claim not to be citizens of the country you were trying to protect <laughs> legal technicality which I, which I thought was a delicious little bit of it's not irony just like jackassery the rule with irony is nothing's ever irony nothing's ever ironic it's <laughs> no all, it's i found only used something- incorrectly I've found something that's ironic. What is it? Russell Wilson's charity. (laughs) (laughs) Russell Wilson's Why Not You Foundation was founded. Like the goal of that was to generate some positive attention toward causes he believed in. And the net result, given the last two weeks of coverage, has been the exact opposite. Wouldn't it be it would be more ironic, though, if they established a foundation to, like, raise awareness about inefficient charities? (laughs) Yeah. And they wound up being exposed as an inefficient charity. Well, then they would actually be accomplishing their mission. <laughs> you would say, <laughs> yeah, like, true. this has been a tre- tremendously effective at aware- raising awareness. Everybody knows exactly the, the why not you what not to do foundation. Are you bummed about missing out on a trip to Columbus in 2025? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. I like, I like those road games. I like road games with the Big Ten. I think that, honestly, like in the big picture, one of the – Things that I didn't realize is that there's going to be fewer Big Ten schools that are willing to schedule home and homes with Washington because they're already going to have a West Coast trip, right? Yeah, and they make those trips with in, the in addition, covered wagon. Like, I don't think a lot of people realize that. <laughs> oh, but I think adding USC and UCLA, I think it is going to. I think it's going to decrease the number of like the sort of how interested Big Ten schools are in doing a home and home with a with a school like Washington. Which is a bummer to me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the the real test will be like, will Michigan follow through with its return game? And they got, it was supposed 2028. to be 2028. Yeah, supposed to be played in 2020. It got bumped to 2028 by the pandemic. Will they try to back out of that after getting Washington to, to come to Ann Arbor? That would be, that would be a real bummer. Of course, that's five years from now when they got a lot more important scheduling matters to deal with before then, you know, it also brings up like, will Tennessee follow through on their series with if speculation about the sec going to nine conference games. Yeah. I saw John Wilner wrote this week about the idea of going to 10 conference games in the PAC 12. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm interested in that. What did you think of that? I don't think it's a bad idea. It would mean it's more attractive for TV partners it would almost certainly increase your gate revenue and, and ticket sales over, you know, because 
the idea is you're playing that game instead of whatever group of five or FCS game you would have to play in lieu of one of those power conference teams actually wanting to come to your stadium. So, you know, no matter who the conference opponent is, they're going to draw better than, than probably, you know, some mountain West team that, that you would schedule instead. So, you know, that's a lot of the PAC 12 already has the reputation as the league that beats itself up and, you know, cause it plays nine conference games and there's plenty of people who have advocated for them to go the other way and go back down to eight, which I, I don't think is at all feasible anymore. So 10 would mean you're asking a lot, you know, in terms of wear and tear and, and you, you're, you're, you're guaranteeing that you're playing double digit games against power conference opponents. Now, there are also these these clock changes on the table, though, that could reduce the number of plays in a game to where, you know, maybe the wear and tear and, and over the course of the season, it's like you're playing one fewer game anyway. So maybe maybe it comes out in the wash if they stop stopping the clock after incompletions. I'm, I'm not against the changes. Um, I'm not. I, 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 could, I, I see that being a way. Standard four-hour games... Like that's, 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 I don't think, I don't think the quality of play is going to suffer if, if we reduce the, the number of, of times that games get played at four hour length. I'm, I, I'm okay with that. I, I kind of like the, the suggested changes. I, uh, I agree with all of them except for the incompletion thing. Yeah. And it's what it, it's that you, you wind the clock the same way that you would like after a first down mm-hmm. on incompletions. Once the ball gets set. Then they swing the ball. They, uh, then they wind the clock. Except for the last two minutes, I think. Yeah. And it, it's getting. I mean, the whole like getting rid of stopping the clock after first downs, like in the NFL. To me, it, why don't you just make the clock rules exactly the same as the NFL? Like you don't need to get weird about the incompletions thing, right? Yeah, I kind of. So I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I kind of like how you get the clock stoppage while the ball is reset. Like I would be in favor of my primary. I would love it if they adopted the incomplete pass rule where you wind the clock, wind the clock after it's reset and then kept the first downs the way it is. I don't think there's much of a chance of that happening though. Like if I think the easiest thing for them to change is just go to what the NFL does for first downs, which which I, th- I, I think is going to happen. But I kind of like that. The, the, it makes, it makes comebacks more feasible. Um, I, I kind of like the clock stopping on first downs. Well, it, it would still, uh, it it would still stop in the last two minutes. Yes. So you'd still have the the you know the crazy very... chaos last two minute period, which it would. Yeah. I think that's important to like protect the integrity of the sport. That's what makes college football really fun. <laughs> the zaniness, I would agree with that. Yeah, is that two minutes is really like an eternity. Yes, uh, you can actually do something. Whereas in the NFL, like you you ge- generally need. If you need more than a field goal, you're going to need some timeouts if you've got a minute left. The no untimed down at the end of the first quarter or third quarter, like if there's a penalty on the last play of the first quarter or third quarter, they just continue to the fourth quarter now rather than run an untimed down. That's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but easy that's enough. Really good, that's fine. really going to shave some time off of there. Yeah. Like I've often found myself thinking, if only there weren't untimed downs at the end of the first and third. <laughs> This costs us 40 seconds. Uh, prohibiting consecutive... I'm reading this from Ross Dellinger's tweet. Prohibiting consecutive timeouts, uh, such as when icing the kicker. That's, a, that's to me, a no-brainer. I hate that. I think all fans hate that. I don't know that coaches even like that. The The consecutive timeout thing never made a, a ton of sense to me. Yeah. You know, one suggestion that they haven't had that I would have is uh, don't have the referee run over to the sideline for the instant replay review just have him stay where his butt is and have someone tell him in his earpiece whether or not the play is changing like i swear that takes so much time in college football and i'm sure it probably doesn't take more time than it does in the nfl but we can speed up some of this review yeah they someone should time that like throughout the season how long does it how long does, does the the referee spend running back and forth on replays yeah i don't i don't need to see that anymore i don't i i, I would prefer that not to happen should we get to Jackson Kirkland? Yes. I want to talk to Jackson Kirkland. I'm very excited to hear from him. Plus, I'm going to ask him about the time his dad beat up one of my former coworkers. Enjoy. Well, like we mentioned, we're uh, fortunate to be joined today by Jackson Kirkland, 
former Washington offensive lineman, finally former Washington offensive lineman after six seasons in college. Um, but I, I think he, I think he had fun in the sixth one. Uh, Jackson, thanks, thanks a lot for, uh, for taking some time for us today. I'm just wondering, first of all, what you're up to right now, what, what it's like training for the combine, exercising in, in preparation to exercise, um, and, and how this kind of time of year is, is maybe a little bit different than getting ready for a football season. Yeah, you know, it's it's very unique. It's definitely different. You go from being around, I guess, a full, you know, 100-plus man team, guys that you've known for so long, and now you're kind of your own entity. You know, we have the – there's a lot of athletes. There's probably over 30 of us training down here in Phoenix, but we all come from different places, you know, and it's been great meeting new guys and stuff. But it's like you come from that family you had in Washington and part of a real team aspect, and now you're kind of – like I said, your own company training um, the needs that you need, and it's kind of catered more individualized to get ready for combine, pro day, all that. But no, it's been a blast so far. I mean, this is everything that I've trained for, and this is the position I wanted to be in. So, you know, right now I'm kind of just living my dream from day to day because this is how I envision the career going. Jackson, is the is the training different? than what you do to get ready for a football season? Because, I mean, the combine people have called it kind of the underwear Olympics, like you do all these different drills. Are, are you training differently than you would for a football season? Yeah, definitely. You know, when, when we first got down here, they told us kind of that exactly that. This is going to be different training than you're used to in college because you're training for something totally different. You're not you know, training to put the pads on and, you know, the physicality getting after people you're training for. Like you said, I guess you call it underwear Olympics. They, it's also, I see it, they said track meet, and we're getting ready for track meet, really. So, yeah, in terms of, you know, we're still moving weights around, but there's more focused on more just getting your body, you know, loose and healthy and more so focused on the recovery aspect, not as much just grinding it so much, doing trying to put on heavy muscle. That's a little bit of a focus now, but you're also trying to get faster, become more of an athlete. So, yeah, training has become almost like shorter sessions you know it's just focus on the body it's kind of different than you know the day-to-day grind is what what i had in college i know coming out of the the 2021 season you had that december and january period where you're you're thinking you're you're going into the nfl draft how does this time now compare to last year i mean before before you found out you needed surgery before you you made the decision to go back to college getting ready for the NFL then and getting ready for the NFL now, how, how is your mind different? And was it maybe more gratifying now because you, you did have this, this last 2022 season? Yeah, it's definitely more gratifying. You know, I just, the thing about last year, even before, you know, discovering the injury and having to drop out, it was just kind of like the college experience was so important to me and playing at the university of Washington and leaving the place better. than We found it. That's what we always talked about as upperclassmen and, yeah after 2021 and then leaving and just going right into training it was just like man like I just knew the school deserved so much better and it just left such a sour taste so it's almost like I couldn't really check that box and be like okay now I did what I needed to do there for the team now I'm ready to train it was always like man I really didn't feel like I I didn't finish the way I want to obviously when we went four and eight so this this way is way more gratifying it's like I couldn't have predicted a better way to go out for the seniors and I and for the succession plan at UW. Now it's like, okay, did what I needed to do there. Very long six-year super senior. I was ready. <laughs> I did what I needed to do at UW. And I you know, didn't want to look back like and knowing that this that was my last shot and just check that box completely and just feel happy about that at the end of the day. That's what makes this all that much better. Did you give any consideration to a, a sixth-year um you know, coming out of the 2021 season, knowing you still had a year of eligibility left, or were you, were you pretty set on the NFL at that point? You know, there was, I was pretty set on the NFL because going to that year, I mean, I had graduated and I was treating it as like any other regular with a non COVID because you're fifth year. Most guys get fifth. Now the six year thing's new, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of funny. I remember because I started training so early. I started the first week of December because we didn't go to a bowl game, you know, so I was already done and I already got to start on the process. And before I left, it was like the day that they announced Coach DeBoer and he came in for the press conference. And I was hearing all the stuff he was talking about and his message. And I didn't really know who he was. Obviously, I knew what he did at, at Fresno State. It was like, you know, I knew he did a hell of a job down there. So I knew that pedigree. But 
I remember hearing that introductory speech and like his vision and just kind of his vibe. And I was like, man, like in the back of my head, I was like, I was still set, but I was like thinking, I was like, and I remember specifically talking to my mom about it. I was like, just told her my doubts a little bit. I was like, am I really like, cause I'm like, part of me, like I said, the sour tastes and want to rewrite this thing. Um, so that was the only thing. And that's kind of when I did have to make, when I found out of the ankle, that was the silver lining. I was like, you know, I want to be a part of this team again. What is it? about him that that stood out to you jackson to me it was the accountability and the true leadership to me it just immediately and i'll say the professionalism it just seems so first class and he used that term a lot like first class and everything we do but it honestly reminded me a lot of coach pearson and i love coach pearson i mean he's like the, the, the goat in my opinion he's the he's the coach when you talk about a coach that's it's chris pearson but um Kalen DeBoer is not far off. Um, so hearing that message, it just reminded me. It was almost like nostalgic. It seemed like everything we had from Coach Peterson my first couple of years, it seemed like the same principles. And hearing that as like a former guy that played under Coach P, it was just that fired me up. So it kind of – it's stuff I could relate to. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly what the program needs. So it was those qualities, I guess you could say. At the end of the 2018 season, like you – you experienced kind of that that level of success. How did this last year compare to that? I mean, I'm sure it's different because you're so much more experienced and it's kind of the end of your college career instead of your first year as a starter. But how how did the year feel to you? Yeah, you know, it was honestly really similar. And definitely, yeah, I was a retro freshman in 2018. So personally, you know, it was obviously it was a terrific year. We won the Pac-12 and got to play in the Rose Bowl game. Um, and those, like, seasons like that, it's just special. And, like, the, the word, like being like magic or like fun it just seems like you have that team has that spark and like no matter like the vibe and everything is great like in the locker room there's no doubt in anyone's mind when you're just on a roll like that that's how we felt and that's how it was end of 2018 i think it was from november on similar to um this season when we just cleaned up all the way through november you just feel like you're untouchable and it's like really fun because it's like like that's when the game is really fun when you can go out there and not think so much about um, little techniques or schemes, what we need to do. Let's just go out and play because we know we're going to be all right. Cause we're this good. We've proved it these past couple of weeks. And like, that's when you really hit your stride. So relating that season to this one, they're very similar because it's just like, when you're just cleaning up like teams out there and you just like from an offensive standpoint, like no one could stop you. That became our, or your personality because we are looked at Texas and we're like, yeah, that's a great team. Like, you know, this is a really good defense, especially um, front seven D linemen. Like they got a lot of draftable guys. And then we're like, man, I really don't see anyone stopping our offense. Like, you know, it's not about them. It's about us. And we just worried about everything in house. And that's how, that's when football really gets fun is when the confidence has never been higher and you just have no doubts in your game. So that's what happened this year. We were just, it was us against the world and we would, not even worry about who we're playing. You could throw anyone out there and we're going to carve them up. You played a ton of college football and I'm, I'm sure are, are ready to move on to the NFL at this point, but seeing Michael Penix Jr. come back and Rome come back and Jalen come back and Troy's coming back and Braylon Trice and ZTF, is there any part of you that's a, a little bit jealous that, that you're <laughs> out of eligibility now that you won't be around for kind of this 2023 year that, that everybody's really building up already? Yeah, I mean, jokingly, like, yes, like just because – Obviously, I'm out of eligibility, but at the same time, like, no, I'm six years was already. <laughs> it's a long time, man. If you think about it, in terms of my lifetime, like, yeah, that, like, um, whatever quarter over that, like, I mean, that's a lot. And I wouldn't trade it for the world because UW is literally like runs through me now. And I have so much pride coming from there. And I look back and I'm so happy at what we accomplished there. But yeah, I remember people like jokingly, like, uh, said stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, man, that'd be. That'd be pretty cool. But to me, though, like I said before, this it could have been in a better way to, you know, pass a succession down and have my last year build the foundation for, like you said, all this talent coming back. I mean, it's just we're right where the program needs to be. And so I'm proud of this last year, catapulting all of this uh, hype coming into the next year. Jackson, I did a little bit of research coming into our interview. And uh, in one of my former jobs, I worked with a guy named Dave Wyman. And he was a linebacker in the NFL for about nine years. He went to Stanford. He played for the Seahawks. And so I texted him this morning. And I said, we're interviewing Jackson Kirkland. 
um, didn't you get your ass kicked by his dad? And Dave said, yes, but he was a wrestler and he pinned me. Don't bring it up. I don't want Dean thinking that he beat me. So I just thought I would pass that along that you can let your dad know that uh, that that he he did. He does have one of the one of the victories on record against Dave Wyman in a practice fight. Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely uh, relay that message. Anytime my dad can uh, relive some glory days or (laughs) overshadow me, I guess he would love that opportunity. That's for sure. Did you did you wrestle at all? No, I didn't. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I don't think it's as popular in high school now. Like, because my high school team didn't even have it. So, Oh, Jesuit uh, didn't have a wrestling team? No, it didn't have a wrestling team. So, yeah, I honestly, like, going back, like, I wish if it was a big thing, yes, I definitely, because I think it's huge for offensive linemen. Was it natural for you to play O-line? Yeah, I think so. I think my build in terms of just my long levers, long arms, um, long body too I, I and like the jeans too i think there's something to that just already having a background with my dad too was growing up i he already i guess when i was a pop warner could already teach me some advanced like techniques like i'm using stuff that you know maybe some 10 year olds also don't know about offensive line play so <laughs> naturally it was there and yeah like i said thankful to have a father who played but yeah definitely I know in, in your recruitment back in the 2017 class, the, the offer from Washington came in pretty late in the process and, and you had committed to UCLA. And I know there was, there was some consternation around that um, from fans also kind of looking at like, well, like, you know, this is, this is Dean Kirkland's kid. He's not in state, but basically down in Portland and, you know, are, are, are they going to offer him? Um, what is it like when the offer comes in? Is it difficult at all to set aside maybe some of the frustration of like, you know, well, what took you so long? Or is it just instant jubilation that, hey, I I get to go to Washington kind of like I like I grew up imagining? That is a great question because, um, yeah, how do you think Dean Kirkland's kid felt that whole time during that process? Like thinking it was going to be an easy slam dunk when he's already getting offers from other Pac-12 schools. So when he's a legacy from UW, you think it's a no-brainer, right? But um yeah, it was both. It was, you know, some frustration when I got it, and but it was definitely more so joy and, like, jumping on it immediately as you saw, you know, me decommitting and, like, totally changing my process for the better, definitely. Um, but, yeah, that was – it was really frustrating for, I mean, just growing up, like, being the biggest UW fan and then finally getting in contact with them. Like, you feel like your dream's finally there when I'm, like, a junior and you're thinking you're going to get an offer – and it really never came. And so by the time I was going into my senior year, that's when traditionally like recruits are like, okay, that's probably not going to happen. And I need to choose for myself because you can't just wait and let roster spots fill up for other people. So I was like, and at the time I had a great relationship with UCLA. So like what they had going on down there. So I committed to them, never had a UW offer. And then sure enough, by the end of the year, I, I at the end got a Washington offer and, like I said, I had set aside the uh, the anger and frustration, and I just used it as a great moment to fuel myself. I was like, okay, like, you know, I wasn't really believed in the beginning of this, and maybe they still don't believe in me if they're giving me an offer a week into signing day, but fine, I'm going to take this and roll with it. And I'm a big getting motivated by a chip on shoulder. So, honestly, that's been the factor that's carried me all the way through my career, just remembering that it wasn't that – big of a recruit in terms of Washington wanting me and I'm going to take the, the, the great thing is they gave an offer to me and actually leave me at the end. And so I rolled with that, but yeah, it was a wild process, but at the end of the day, I was like, it was my dream to go to UW. So even if it was 10 times worse than that, like them giving me a preferred walk on or something like, which isn't, those are great opportunities as well. But I'm just saying if I even did get an offer, I probably would have taken it because I wanted to play there so bad. And you obviously you have a great relationship with coach Pete. Have, have you ever brought up after the fact, like, Hey, what the hell, man, I was three time first team all, all pack 12. And it took you till right before signing day to offer me what's up. Right. Yeah. I'd love to just pull out a big rep, a resume of, you know, <laughs> accolades and stuff and just slam it on his desk or something and be like, all right, like back in 2017, but no, I haven't. To be honest with you, Coach Pete, even though he's not my coach anymore, he still intimidates me and I still treat him as like, so I'm scared to like, <laughs> respect to him maybe down the road we'll bring that up but i hope he knows though i i I think it ended up 
he understood that it was a good decision. Oh, that's funny. Coach Pete's intimidating? <laughs> well, I mean, he's just uh, a little bit of a disciplinary. Yeah. Like, you, just don't, you don't really – he ran a tight ship in a good way. Like, I mean, we were all, um, you know, stayed stayed the course, didn't really do anything, you know, that we shouldn't do. Or, like, we had rules on the team and you carried yourself a certain way and you it wasn't very wise probably to test what would happen if you didn't do those. <laughs> Yeah, that's always interesting. I always love to hear how players like actually relate to the coaches and how they are. When you brought up the 40, um, I was thinking like back, I was a student there in the 90s at UW and Lambright and G- Don James before him, they had all their linemen run run a mile. Like they had a rule. And I can't remember it was like if they had to be a sub seven minute mile, but like, no, I think it wasn't that I honestly, I remember my dad literally talking about, that was like a thing they did like every year going to camp or something, which is like, yeah, it was, it was awful. So you'd watch it and they had, they had a lineman, Bob Sapp who, um, got drafted in like the third round. He didn't really pan out in the NFL, but then he became an ultimate fighter. Like he did a bunch of stuff. Longest yard too. Yeah. Yeah, he did do the longest yard. Yeah. He's done some. Bob Sapp running the mile was the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like he would just come undone in the last lap. Like he's like his form's awful. He's huffing and puffing and he, he didn't make it like he didn't make it within, within the time limit. And then he said afterwards, he goes, I'm really just more of a sprinter. Cause he'd run the hundred meters in, in high school. It was just hilarious, but it was, it's funny to think about a coach. So your dad had to run the mile then. Yeah. I mean, that was also back when I don't think, they didn't have them all year. So you're kind of checking back in and need to get in shape. You know, I think they're like testing. It was definitely a different time. You mentioned the the vibe this year, like the vibe in the locker room and just how, how fun the season was. You played for three different head coaches in your career and people know Chris Peterson's program and Jimmy Lake's program and Kalen DeBoer's program from what they see for three and a half hours on, on television on a, on a Saturday. Right. But you're living it every day. Uh, how would you just kind of describe like the feeling, the day-to-day vibe playing for Chris Peterson in that program compared to the day-to-day vibe playing for Jimmy Lake compared to the daily vibe playing for Kalen DeBoer this last year? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think playing for coach Pete, like the day-to-day vibe was, you know, that we're going to come in and go to work each day. I mean, we had the same structure, Every day you knew what you were getting and you knew you are going to have to bring your best. Coach Pete did a great job of each practice was like a game environment. We did a lot of scrimmaging and it really made us pretty tough because we would, you know, it's a lot of first team offense versus first team defense and we're just going back and forth and it made such a competitive atmosphere. So you just knew that like coming in, like you got to bring your best each day. And you see that though, like with all the players that played under Coach Pete and how well they've translated into the next level and just all the greats coming out of there. Um, Coach Lake was very similar, honestly, because of the succession, like between those two, it wasn't, wasn't like a staff change that you see traditionally where everyone leaves and one guy brings in everyone else. It was just Coach Lake went from DC to head coach, as we know. So the structure was very similar. Um, you know, minor stuff was, was changed or some practice plan type deal, but all the principles and stuff that, Coach P had put in place, you know, Lake taught DBs the same way under how Coach P would, you know what I mean? So it's like he's going to teach the whole team kind of the same stuff they're used to, which I was thankful for in that aspect because it's not like a lot had to change when those two coaches, like in terms of our culture and curriculum of how we did things. So those were similar, you know, and then Coach DeBoer was, I would say it's a little different because the hard work had become, it was definitely a new definition of hard work. I thought I had, you know, some of the toughest, you know, practices, coaches, whatever you call it, like coming into Coach DeBoer. But, man, this past season, like, we had never, in my opinion, practiced so hard in a great way in terms of all the reps we're doing. But it was efficient. Like, each day we ended at the same time, and it wasn't, like, unorganized at all or any of that. Not that it was years past, but it was just ran to – like perfection and every day you knew you were getting in that and but I just remember more so like in terms of practicing our own plays and X's and O's that's what the biggest change was coach of work is in terms of an offensive standpoint you saw we'd walk through every day for you know hour hour and a half 
and all through the season every day you like it was never changing and it's like groundhog day it may be boring but success and all the greatness it is pretty boring because all we're doing is just we became like a machine like I've never been a part of an offense that at least missed assignments or mistakes offsides all the above because like it was the standard was so high and like and I credit to coach Ryan Grubb who's definitely the best offensive coordinator in college football hands down um because of guys like that, because of just how much we repped everything, it was ingrained in you. It became our language, vernacular, all that. So that's what the biggest change this past year was like. The details, and Coach P was all about details, but the details have never been more emphasized. No one was going to have a you know, bad mistake or bad penalty because it was not accepted. This will be kind of the last thing for me, and I guess it kind of builds off of what you're just saying. It was so fun to watch you guys play this last year. Um most of my background in the media has been covering the NFL, and but I'm a college football fan. Like I still have season tickets to the Huskies, even though I live in New York. Um, watching you guys play last year, it was it was awesome, and I think I felt really happy for not just you, but especially you, because going through a year where you had COVID, which kind of screws everything up, and then the 2021 season that had to be really hard for everybody that was on the team to have that kind of, that kind of dip and, and not maybe not have your college football experience be what you thought it was going to be for some of it, a lot of it for reasons beyond your control. And to see you guys last year, like, I don't want to say like, I'm happy for you because that makes it sound like you guys did it. Like it's, it's what you did. So I'll just say like, it's really cool. And, and I, I think it's awesome. And, I, I'm just I'm I'm really glad that that happened in that way for you guys because it was so much fun to watch. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And it, yeah, I mean, you couldn't have said it better. Like with all the, I mean, that's the thing that really sucks about the adversity that you go through in terms of like like you said the COVID year and more so the 2021 year. I mean, just from obviously an outside perspective, like yeah, it sucked. I'm sure seeing, but like imagine like living that day to day, especially when like me and a lot of older guys have and back 12 champions and our, and bowl eligible was never a thing we talked about. Cause we're like, we're going to win six games. We're like, why? Like that's, if we win six games, that's a bad year in my mind. Like I want to win like eight, you know, eight plus. And to just go four and eight. I mean, it was just like, it was like, I was living the worst nightmare every day. And, but to that point, I'm so thankful for that because it makes like an 11 win season the next year. <laughs> that much better because it's like wow i really just faced all the adversity with everyone else on this team and we just you know knocked it back over after it got us and now we conquered that and we were just so much tougher and mentally tough because it's like okay we've been through we faced the fire being four and eight like what's the worst that can happen now no one believes in us that's fine we're just gonna go out and do what we do and at the end of the day we we know in the bottom of our hearts all the work we've put in and all the stuff we've been through that you know the nothing but great things were ahead and that's what happened and just seeing it all the way through and to be honest I didn't know if you told me 11 wins going into the season last year I would probably laugh at you but the fact that it ended up that way I mean it was it was special that's for sure so you're moving on Henry Bayanavala is moving on Corey Luciano is moving on who uh, should people look out for on that offensive line for in, in 2023 who's gonna be stepping into those starting roles yeah definitely I, I think uh you know, just going off the guys that were in those backup roles and also saw a significant time last year, like Nate Kaleppo, I think, you know, he has the tools to be a terrific player. He's got the size for sure. And he's almost powerful, naturally powerful offensive lineman I've been around. And he's tough too. You know, he likes to, he has a love for the game. He likes to get after people. So I think he can be a phenomenal guard wherever he plays, right guard, left guard. But, you know, I think he'll be a great player for sure. And then, Center, I think Mateo Mele, who also saw some time last year. He has a natural build for center, and he's pretty athletic. Um, and he does a good job of running the show up front. So, you know, he's a great guy that helped out with Corey on some minutes this year in some games, and he did a great job when he was in. And I think, you know, Julius Bulow or Garen Hatchett at right guard, I think those two, you know, whoever ends up playing there, you have a, you know, great uh, – opportunity because Julius had played guard back in 2021. I think, you know, similar to someone like 
Nate and I size being taller inside, and if you can use your length well, it's a game changer because you're going up against the linemen with shorter arms who aren't as tall. And if you can, you know, pin them at the line of scrimmage, that creates huge opportunity for the quarterback throwing. I think Garen Hatchett, I think he's versatile. He can play center and guard. I even remember him doing some right tackle reps last year. So, and, you know, his athletic build obviously was, you know, great recruit in high school and he has those tools to play. That's for sure. So I think his ceiling is high as well. And bottom line though, I mean, whoever is rolling out there with Scott Huff at running the offensive line, you're in great hands because he's the best line coach in America. And I think when he got retained, everyone, I know his name wasn't popular after 2021, but there's a reason why he got retained. And I think we all saw that in 2022 because you know he's a hell of an offensive line coach and, Who's ever playing under him, the old line's gonna be great, that's for sure. So I'm not worried about that. I'll I'll end it on this. You were at Washington for six years, a lot of lot of practice reps, uh, as as a red shirt, as a starter. Who's the who's the best football player that you shared a field with at, at Washington in six seasons? Ooh, that's tough. Um I'm gonna go with as a from an O line standpoint, um, I got to go with Greg Gaines. He was he was just unblockable. Like, his, his size, and honestly, a close tie to Vita Vea, as we all know, very similar, like, builds and, you know, like, hard to move at nose guard, obviously. But he was just, I mean, he's like a matchup nightmare. Like, just because he's, it's almost like he's short enough where it's hard to get under, it's impossible to get under him. But he's too strong, too, so you can't move him. So it's like, what do you do? <laughs> you kind of have to scheme around him sometimes. So, yeah, I'd say him. I think Rob Rang once described Greg Gaines as like a tree stump in the middle of the D-line. <laughs> or he's, just, he's just not going anywhere. He's not. And, like, you know, it's one thing, like, moving. Like, you think it's an advantage having a double team. But he's not. He's a stump, though, too. Even trying to, like, do a double team two-on-one, there's no leverage on him because he's just so low. and You can't, like, there's nothing to hit. And he's just so strong that it was hard to move. So, yeah, I remember he just give us fits a lot of time, that's for sure. Well, hey, Jackson, we really appreciate your time, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, hope everything's going well for you down in Phoenix preparing for the Combine. Um, best of luck with, with the draft and, and with your NFL career going forward. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on this. It was great talking to you both. Thanks so much, Jackson, and congratulations. It was a, it was a really incredible Huskies career. Yeah, appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Always good to talk to Jackson Kirkland. That's the first time I've gotten to interview him. I didn't realize how uncertain his recruitment to UW was. Yeah. And that probably reflects that I haven't been paying close enough attention. Like, I didn't, I mean, I didn't, this is like a week before signing day when they finally offered him. What took him so long? So he was in the same class as Foster Sorrell. Uh, the five-star uh-huh. tackle out of Graham Kapowson who went to Stanford. And he was the big recruit locally. Um, I don't know that there was ever a time when people thought he was going to Washington. He was pretty odd. You know, Stanford was kind of his dream school, and they were really rolling back then, and especially with, with offensive line. It made a lot of sense why he would go to Stanford, why a five-star lineman from Washington would go to Stanford. Um, but I think Washington – you know, he was such a big recruit. They needed to hold a spot for him. And, and obviously that has a, a ripple effect through the rest of your recruiting at that position. So um, that was part of it. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a weak excuse, you know, in the yeah. end, but you know, it, and it's easy to say in hindsight with the career that, that Jackson Kirkland had, but um, it's not like they didn't take other offensive linemen in that class. Right. So yeah, it, I, I remember that was a, that was kind of a, a sub like fan narrative throughout that of, okay, he's committed to UCLA. I think he had an Oregon offer. If I remember right, like he's very much a PAC 12 recruit. He's in Portland, which is technically not in state, but it's right over the border. And Oh, by the way, like, yeah, he's a legacy whose dad played at Washington. And, you know, there are some guys whose, whose fathers played at UW who were lukewarm on, on going to where their dad played. Right. Maybe not for that reason, just, you know, hey, it's it's not that important to me that to go to the same school where my, my dad played football a number of years ago. But to Jackson Kirkland, it was very important and it was it was all he ever wanted. And so, you know, I remember I remember there being some frustration from the fan base around that, like, you know, are they gonna are they gonna blow it with him by, by waiting too long and you know 
they they got it taken care of. And, you know, from Washington's coaching staff's perspective, they might say, like, well, what? We knew we could wait till the very end to offer him, and we did, and, and he wound up coming. So what's the problem? But, uh, yeah, you could see a little, little, little frustration there on, on Jackson Kirkland's part. I like it, though. Came there feisty. He's been a hell of a player to watch. It's cool. I don't know, man. I'm a sucker for the guy gets to end his college career, like, on a high note sort of thing. And you could really tell, like, it had to be a bummer for him, the injury that he had. And not that he didn't want to go back to school, but he's been there five years. He's already graduated. And yet what comes out of that that sixth year that he plays, that final year of eligibility is an 11 win season and you could you could tell how much that meant to him and that it was really fun for them that that was it was it was cool to hear that yeah and you know I, a year ago i guess it'd be over a year ago now if you if you asked him hey you know would you you want to have this this serious ankle surgery and recovery and play another college season or would you like to be healthy and go into the nfl instead like you know i don't think he would have signed up given those two options to come come back and play a sixth season necessarily. I don't know who would, but like he said, it you know, he, he, he clearly has a everything happens for a reason type of perspective on on those things. And, you know, just like he talked about being grateful in hindsight for the twenty twenty one season and going through that and how that kind of made the the come up that much sweeter in twenty twenty two. Um he does he, he's a he's a mature guy who seems to have um a, a pretty good perspective on what the last year plus two years have have been like in in his own life and and an appreciation i think for the way everything has unfolded and and kind of um how how he had to work to get himself into position to where he is now which is uh you know preparing for the combine i think healthier certainly than he was a year ago and you know we'll see where he ends up being drafted i'm i'm curious you know position wise he he wound up and we didn't get a chance to ask him this but he played guard most of the season after moving to left tackle and I think they were, you know, there was some thought among the coaching staff that that was going to be his position in the NFL at tackle, but it seems like he's probably considered more of a guard now, and that's where most of his tape is too. Yeah. Usually when guys start moving inside, they don't go, end up moving back outside. Um, but, yeah, I'll be interested. I'll, it, it's, it'll be interesting to watch kind of how he goes at the combine and where he ends up getting drafted. You certainly, like, man, there are some signs already in offseason – contracts that have been signed uh from different uh, seahawks just re-signed phil haynes as a guard for a four million dollars one year which i was surprised at like there's there's a value for among the offensive line right now especially so i i could i could see that making helping his draft position overall because of how important that position has become it's just him and, and Henry Bainavalu at the Combine this year. They had so many underclass prospects who decided to come back. It's the, it's the two old guys uh, getting evaluated. So it'll be, a, it'll be a scant draft for Washington this year, and um, the numbers will be That's much, good news for the Huskies. It is, and, and those numbers it's will be really much different It's really good news for the year. Huskies. Yeah. So. Yeah, man, because with Rome and Jalen McMillan and, and, uh, and, and the tackle, Tony, whose last name I always screw up, how do uh, I say Troy Fawatanu. Troy Fawatanu, whose apparently first name I also always screw up. Fawatanu. <laughs> yeah, one, of those, um, one of those four-letter T names. <laughs> Troy Fawatanu. Um, watching all of them, like the fact that they're coming back is certainly uh, should be a huge boost to next season. It's good news for Washington's prospects that there's only a couple guys at the Combine this year. That's all we've got for you this week. Hope you enjoyed our chat with uh, with Jackson Kirkland. And we will talk to you next week.